You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you gather us from all different backgrounds together to be your children. And we thank you so much that Jesus does that. And we pray that as you speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit, you would give us a greater appreciation of what we have in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you might not be surprised by this, but I actually know what it's like to be a foreigner. Uh, I was born in Australia, you can tell by the slightly unsubtle accent, and I've always been a citizen, but my parents actually came from overseas. They were migrants from Malaysia. How many of you here have parents who were born overseas? About 90, oh, 80, 90% of you, okay? Look, they never regretted coming to Australia. It was a great decision. I love growing up here. But let me tell you that as a migrant child growing up in Australia, life was difficult at times. And part of the reason it was difficult was, believe it or not, uh, back when I was growing up, late 60s, early 70s, there weren't that many Chinese in Sydney. Have you been to Eastwood recently? Anyway, um, <laughs> there weren't that many Chinese in Sydney, so therefore we were different. Uh, we looked different. Uh, the food we ate was different. Uh, my family went to Chinatown every week uh, with all the other Chinese people. Uh, we used to buy rice off container ships. There wasn't rice at Woolworths. We celebrated the Chinese New Year and gave out red packets. So we, we were different, we felt different, but we were made to feel most different uh, by the way we were treated by those around us. Um, I remember walking along the streets one day and having someone wind down the window of their car and shout out at me, hey, Bruce Lee, show me your kung fu. Uh, I was tempted. Uh, <laughs> and there was another time I was at a bus stop and a total, total stranger came up to me and said, you people should learn about birth control. Right? I've had people shout things, throw things at me from cars, all sorts of things. Um, this is to make the point that being a foreigner, being an outsider can be difficult at times. And I don't know if you could have experienced anything like that yourselves. But here's the thing. Being a foreigner and outsider was even worse for the Ephesians that we read about in this passage. Because for them, it was a matter of life and death. And being a foreigner not only meant being cut off from God, but also meant being cut off from any chance of knowing him and being saved from their sins. And that's why what we're looking at today in this part of the scriptures is so wonderful and life-changing, not only for people like the Ephesians, but people like us as well. And to see why, uh, please open uh, your Bibles with me to back to Ephesians chapter 2 and to verse 1, where Paul starts by saying to the Ephesians, you were dead. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, who was the Apostle Paul writing to? What was he saying? Uh, The author is the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was the first great missionary to non-Jewish people throughout the Mediterranean. Um, And he wrote a significant proportion of the New Testament. And he's writing to the Christians in a place called Ephesus, which is a city you can still find in modern-day Turkey, hence Ephesians. By the way, Romans, written to the people in Rome, Philippians, the people in Philippi, it's all very sensible. Uh, Now, what is he saying, though, when he says to them, you were dead? Uh, He's not saying to the Ephesians that you were dead in terms of them not living or breathing. Very hard to read a letter when you're not actually alive. But rather, he's using the term you were dead in terms of relationship. 
You are, you are dead relationally. It's like the phrase, you are dead to me. You know that phrase? You know what it means? You are dead to me. What, what does it mean? It means being cut off, right? It's like you're not even there. It means being out of relationship. And the Apostle Paul says that the Ephesians were like that. They were cut off and separated in terms of their relationship with God. Relationship with God. They were cut off from God and no longer in relationship with it. And how did this happen? Paul tells us. It was because of their transgressions and sins. And friends, that's what sin does. Sin cuts us off from each other, damages relationships with each other, but more importantly, it also cuts us off from God and ruins our relationship with him because, that's what, because of what sin is, right? Now, I, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I became a Christian as an adult. I used to think that sin was just doing bad stuff being criminal, being immoral. Uh, sin was something that people worse than me did, okay? That's what I used to think sin was. But sin's actually really about one's attitude towards God. Sin is saying yes to yourself and no to God. It's saying to God, I think I know better. It's saying to God, I think I'm actually better off without you in my life. And, you know, when you have that type of attitude towards someone, it, it damages relationships, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to God. Because God is God. He's our creator, and he must always do what is right. He can't put up with that type of attitude, that type of rebellion from those he's created. So what happens is that our sin cuts us off from God. We are no longer in relationship with him. We are on the wrong side of God, and if you look in verse 4, on the wrong side of his judgment. We were by nature objects of his anger or wrath. Sin has terrible consequences when it comes to us and God. Paul begins by saying, you were dead to the Ephesians. And what we discover as we, as we read on is that what's true of the Ephesians is also true of everyone. So in verse 3, Paul says, all of us also lived among them at one time. We, we, we all did the same thing. We are all in the same boat. And that's true, isn't it? I'm looking at you people. You look like really decent, moral, upright, outstanding citizens. But you're all sinners. Sounds judgmental, doesn't it? But look, you know, we look in the mirror, we've all been selfish at times. We've all been loose with the truth. We've all made decisions as if God wasn't God or God wasn't there. I mean, we've all done that. Each of us in our own way, even the very, very best of us, have sinned against God at some stage of our life. And as a result, like the Ephesians, that makes us dead. Dead in terms of of our relationship with God. But then that raises the question, that's terrible. That's terrible. If, we, if, if God is the creator and we are, we've been created to be God's children, I mean, it's terrible to be out of relationship with God. What can we do about it? How can we fix this situation? And as you search through human history, humanity's basically come up with three different approaches. Approach number one, just pretend God isn't there, right? That's the stick your head in the sand approach. And, uh, you know, because if God's not there, then you don't have to do anything to fix your relationship and there's no judgment and nothing to worry about, okay? That's the pretend God's not there approach. Uh, secondly, there's the let's create God in our own image approach. This is where we have a God uh, that agrees with everything that we think and do. You know, you've heard people use that phrase. Well, my God is... My God thinks, you know, my God, my God, my God, this, my God, that, rather than the God who's there. We create God in our own image. And he always agrees with us, therefore we don't need to be reconciled with this God because we're always on the same page. Then there's the third approach that humanity's taken, which is probably the most familiar to us, 
and that is the merit approach. Okay? So this is where we are. God is there. So we need to do stuff to try to get closer to God. And this is the basis upon which every man-made religion is formed. Right? Uh, live a certain way, be good enough, be moral enough, uh, follow rules and regulations, go through religious ceremonies, build up that merit, and you just might make it in. It's just like doing year 12 and getting enough marks to get into the course you want. Right? That's the merit approach. That's religion. People have tried all sorts of things throughout history, and the Bible makes it very clear that none of them work. They do not work. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make us alive when it comes to our relationship with God. In fact, um, in verse 9, if you have a look there, the Bible is very, very clear that it is not by works. It is not through the things that we do. Rather, where the Bible points us is that if it's not about us, it must be about God. And uh, that's what you see in verse 4. Come back with me to verse 4, where Paul says, how, how do we move from death to life? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Uh, how do we move from death to life? God does it. God does it. He's the one who gives dead people life. And he does this through his son, Jesus. All right? Made alive with Christ. Christ is the term for king or messiah. It's the title of Jesus. Right? And please notice that God does this not because we were religious or good or moral or earned it. Why does he do it? Have a look at verse 4. He does it out of the greatness of his love and the riches of his mercy. And the Bible has a very, very, very useful one-word summary for this mercy and love. And you'll see that at the end of verse 5. Now, how has God brought people from death to life through Jesus? Paul says in verse 5, it is by grace you've been saved. That one-word summary is the word grace. And grace is one of my favourite words. I have a lot of favourite words. Free is one of my favourite words. Bargain is one of my favourite words. Oz, who's, who, who goes to Ozbarg at least once a day? No one here? Or Ed, only Eddie. Ozbarg works, right? It's fantastic. And my other favourite word is fried. Everything tastes better fried, right? Everything. I had fried ice cream the other day. Fantastic, right? But grace is even better than that. Why? What is grace? The word grace means getting something for nothing. It's like the word free. But it's more than that. It's got that sense of unmerited favour, right? Totally unmerited. Uh, I was taught to remember it this way a number of years ago, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It, it, grace is a wonderful word. Well, firstly, who doesn't like getting stuff for free? I mean, some of my best moments in life have been winning prizes. Isn't that great, you know, getting stuff for free? Or finding something at the side of the road is actually worth something. I found a pair of speakers once. That was awesome. Uh, I was doing a pastoral visit at the time, but let's not put that there. Uh, but here is the thing. What's even better than getting something for free is getting something for free that you could never afford. I mean, you guys are, most of you guys are young. Just imagine for a moment someone giving you a free house in Sydney. How about that? Free house. Four bedroom. Four bedroom. Double garage. Quiet street. Home theatre. Air conditioning. Central air conditioning. Hot tub. Awesome, right? 
How good would that be? Imagine that, for free. No mortgage, no rent, nothing. Free, done, all yours. That type of thing could change your life, couldn't it? But here's the thing. What God has given us by grace through Jesus is even greater than that. Because while it's really, really hard, especially at your stage of life, to own a house in Sydney, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. But what God offers us in Jesus is impossible for us to get ourselves. It's beyond our reach. Death, from going from death to life, from no relationship to new relationship, from judgment to friendship. God gives all of this to us through the death of his son. As Jesus dies on the cross and he bears the consequences of our wrongdoing and our sin and our saying no to God on himself in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and set free and restored to God and restored as his children, restored to relationship and life. And friends, when you think about it, uh, that has amazing implications when it comes to how a person becomes a Christian. I, I know people think that there are all sorts of things involved with becoming a Christian, that uh, becoming a Christian is just about growing up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Or becoming a Christian is about growing up in the West, or just being good or religious. No, it's not true. It's not true at all. Becoming a Christian is about realising you're dead. And then... Rather than turning to yourself to make yourself alive, turning to Jesus, turning to Jesus to give you life and placing your trust in him alone, realising it's not about you or the things that you do, but it's all about him and what he has done for us on the cross. And this is why being a Christian is the best thing in the world. Because God gives dead people life for free through Jesus. Wonderful to be a Christian. And again, I don't know many of you here, uh, but if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you to at least consider it. It's really good. It's really, really good. It's a bargain, right? It should be on the Oz bargain page every day. It's the deal of a lifetime, right? I say that with all sincerity. I did not grow up as a Christian. It has changed my life for the better and wonderfully so. And it will change your life as well for free through Jesus. But, wait, there's more. I sound like a, a television, one of those, <laughs> one of those <laughs> television commercials, don't I? But wait, there's more. Uh, our operators are waiting. No, that's not true. As good as that is, there's even more that Jesus does for us. And that's what we see in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Because not only does Jesus make us alive, and, here, and this goes back to the introduction, he also makes outsiders, insiders, and foreigners citizens. Let me explain. Come and have a look at verse 11 of our passage. Uh, Paul says, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and call the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, uh, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Uh, what's this all about? At the time that Paul wrote this, uh, in Jewish thinking, there are only two types of people, right? There are Jews and there are non-Jews, Gentiles. That's everyone else. 
including the Ephesians. And even though Paul has just told us in the first half of Ephesians chapter 2 uh, that God has made the dead alive through the Lord Jesus Christ by grace, what we need to realise is that at that time, uh, Jesus was thought of as the saviour of the Jews. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Christ, that God had promised his people Israel. And this is why Paul says what he does about uh, the Ephesians, non-Jewish people. Uh, they were separated from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. And as a result, without hope and without God, because if you're cut off from the Jewish people, you're cut off from the Jewish Messiah, you're cut off from Jesus and what he offers through grace. Not good to be a Gentile, because it meant being cut off from Jesus and the salvation he offers. But here's the thing. If you go back to the passage again, you'll see that Paul says, remember. Remember. He says it twice. And formally, and at that time. Look, Paul is speaking as if this was something that was true in the past, but is no longer true now. And he says that because something has happened to change everything for the Gentiles. And you see that in verse 13. Have a look at verse 13. Very important. Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Paul says that Gentiles, like the Ephesians, like many of us here, who were once far away, once separated, once excluded, once foreigners to God's promises, have been brought near, have been brought in, through the blood of Jesus. And as a result, can now know God and his salvation and become citizens of his kingdom. Now, that might not sound like such a big deal, but can I just tell you that becoming a citizen is no small feat. It's not easy to become a citizen. We had a, uh, we had a Farsi-speaking congregation, an Iranian congregation in my old church at St Paul's, and the leader of that church... A uh, terrific fellow, I won't tell you his name, but he'd been leader there. He'd been in Australia for years. Uh, he's working for years. He was uh, studying at Bible College. Uh, you know, terrific individual. And he applied for residency. And he went before the judge, and the judge heard all the evidence. We gave all our testimony, all these letters of support. Remember, this guy led our congregation. And the judge made a pronouncement, I don't think you're a real Christian, and rejected his application. Let me tell you, becoming a citizen in Australia can be very, very difficult. In fact, I think it's too difficult at times. But you see, becoming a citizen of God's kingdom is totally different. Because through Jesus, the borders are now open. There's no waiting list or limit. Because Jesus has torn down the barriers that have kept people out. Because what Jesus has done on the cross by his blood is not only destroy that barrier created by sin that used to cut people off from God, right? He's made us alive, but he's also destroyed that barrier that divided Jews from Gentiles. Uh, verse 15, setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations, removing the requirement to live like a Jew in order to be a one of the people of God, but also, very importantly, creating in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace 
and in one body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, what Jesus has done on the cross is the ultimate equaliser. He has created one new humanity out of the two. And as a result, he's given all those who trust him a brand new identity. No matter who we are or where we have come from. And this brand new identity is actually very, very important. Because when you think about it, so many of the things that mark out who we are, that describe ourselves, I mean, our own personal hashtags, you want to think of it that way, actually are there to highlight our differences. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you myself as an example. I'm male, middle-aged, just, married, right-handed, Australian, Chinese, and Anglican bishop. That means I'm not female, young, single, divorced, left-handed, American, Caucasian, Baptist, or Uniting Church, right? You see how that works? So many of the descriptors that we use for ourselves actually mark out our difference. And they end up separating us from those around us. But what Paul is saying here is that those things, because of Jesus, no longer matter when it comes to having a relationship with God. That no matter who we are or what we have done, as long as we trust Jesus, we are no longer foreigners or outsiders, but citizens and insiders. We're the ultimate identity, child of God. Paul puts it another way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Uh, he says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And while Paul isn't saying that these distinctions no longer exist, the distinctions still exist, I'm still Chinese, I'm still going to eat chicken feet, okay, that's not going to change. What he is saying, though, is that none of these matter when it comes to being a citizen of the kingdom of God and one of his children. Because Jesus is the one who has made us all alive on the very same basis, by grace. Jew, Gentile, young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. We all come to God on the basis of the grace that is found through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all one in him. I don't know about you, I think that is really good news. It is really good news. It's great news. It's great news for us and the people around us. Uh, it's great news for us. Why is it great news for us? Again, some of you haven't met me before. Let me tell you something. I am not the nicest person in the world. That might surprise you. I am not the nicest person in the world. I'm not always consistent. I don't always do the things that I do. I don't look in the mirror every day and think, you're great. Right? In fact, there are many times where I feel weak, where I feel like a failure, where I feel I'll let God down. I've been following the Lord Jesus for many, many years. But here's the thing. What we read in this passage is that it tells us that my relationship with God my forgiveness, my future, my belonging, my being a citizen, a child of God, despite my ups and downs, my fears and failures, isn't about me or my performance or how good I am or how religious I am, how close I feel to God. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. 
all about Jesus and the grace that is found in him. It's Jesus and only Jesus who can make us alive. And Jesus does this all for us for free. Isn't that good news? Jesus does it all. It's not about us. It takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. I was talking to, this is not my script, I was talking to some high school students the other day and I said to them, just imagine for a moment, you're all facing the HSC, just imagine for a moment that the person who wrote the exam said to you, hey, would you like me to do the exams for you? Well, how do you feel about that? It's like that, isn't it? The guy said to Tessa, does the exam for you, all the pressure's taken off. You sit back, relax, eat chips, watch television, fantastic. That's how good it is. It's better than that, okay? Now, it's great news for us, but can I just say, not only is it great news for us, it is also great news for the people around us. It's fantastic news for the people around us. Some people wonder, why do Christians want to tell everybody about Jesus? Because it's great news for everyone. And here's the thing. Who are the people around us? I looked up the census data, not for Concord, but for Strathfield across the road. Uh, 94,000 people in Strathfield. 85% of them have at least one parent born overseas. Top three languages after English. Anyone want to have a guess? Interactive time here. Top three languages. Korean, number three. Mandarin, number one. That leaves Cantonese, number two, okay? Right? Um, 52% over the age of 15 aren't married. One third of the suburb are students. 7% unemployed. 14% live in single parent families. 28% say they have no religion. All right? That's Strathfield. And what does our passage say to them? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. None of that matters when it comes to knowing Jesus. Single, married, divorced, de facto, Aussie, migrant, working class, professional, none of that matters. All are welcome. All are welcome because Jesus has taken away all the barriers that stop anyone from any walk of life on any background from coming to him. There's nothing stopping anyone from coming to Jesus. And what does that mean for us as a church here? It means at least two things. It means at least two things. I think it means asking ourselves, have we erected any barriers, artificial barriers that stop people from coming to join us and meeting Jesus? I mean, it's really easy, isn't it, to to, uh, be at a church and not see the barriers we set up. I mean, there are so many things. Um, Our language, I remember uh, early on uh, when I was training for ministry, actually meeting people in a church, and I didn't realise they were actually illiterate. What do we do with that? Um, uh, we changed our Bible, the version of the Bible we used because we had so many people coming from English as a second language background and frankly the English standard version reads like it's been written by Yoda. So we had to change that, right? Educational levels, church culture, ethnic culture, um, the way we welcome people, our, our the cliques, you know, the way we all talk to what we want to talk to our friends on a Sunday. What happens about newcomers? All sorts. My, my sister, who's not, not a regular churchgoer or a Christian, she came to church and her complaint was that people were too friendly. So uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what... She was suspicious of it. So people are too friendly. What's going on? I wasn't too disturbed by that. Okay. So we as a church, we need to be thinking, are there any things that... Are there any artificial barriers we're setting up that make it difficult for outsiders to come in and meet Jesus? But secondly, given that we have been given the best news in the world, the bargain of a lifetime, well, what can we be doing as a church to share that with those around us? So that they too can know that they can belong in a way that they might not have ever thought possible. 
especially those who are new to this country, and that they might find acceptance and community and love and belonging in the one new humanity where the labels that divide have been done away with by Jesus once and for all. Friends, that's what we're offering those around us. We are offering them belonging. We are offering them identity. We are offering them a new vision of what it means to be human, for me connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're expressing every time we meet. I've got to say, in the probably year and a half since I've last been here, this congregation is more diverse. More diverse. And that's wonderful, right? And, you know, even though we're one new humanity and we're all connected to Jesus and we don't always express it perfectly, but it is who we are, aren't we? We are one new humanity because of Christ. We as Christians are one new humanity made alive by Jesus, created through grace, where the labels that divide no longer matter. They no longer matter because of Jesus, because we now come, all come to God on the very same basis. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his death and resurrection. And we thank you, Father, that a relationship with you is not about us, but all about him. And we do pray that as a church that we would not only uh, uh, delight in the fact that we are all one in you, but we would also seek to share the good news of the gospel with all those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.